0: The University of Central Missouri is an institution like no other. From its roots as a progressive teacher's college founded after one of the most tragic periods in our nation's history, to today where it is an internationally recognized university with over 12,000 students studying over 100 majors. In a world that is ever-changing, the University of Central Missouri has produced the students who change it. The University of Central Missouri provides students from across the globe, not just an education, but a sense of community, service, and purpose. Join us as we explore that journey through the tragedies of war, the triumphs of peace, and the ultimate goal of education for service. This is the history of the University of Central Missouri. At the beginning of the new century, the university was flourishing. Since its founding as a small teacher's college, it had grown into a well-regarded regional university. However, with the retirement of President Elliott, the university needed a new leader. Dr. Bobby Patton was appointed the 13th president of the university. Dr. Bobby Patton, former president, University of Central Missouri.
1: I had moved up through the ranks of administration, of higher administration. I had been a department chair for a number of years at the University of Kansas. I had gone to California State University, Los Angeles as a dean. I was dean of arts and letters. And then I went to Wichita State University as the number two person, the vast president for academic affairs. And that gave me uh, then the entree. I thought I was done step by step and I was ready to uh, try a presidency. And I was particularly attracted to central Missouri, uh, actually for a number of reasons. But number one, the location of it, the size of it, the fact that it was a state university, these were all things in which I had had familiarity and, and I, I liked. Uh, but particularly, I liked the, the mission of the university, which was education for service. And I always thought this was a, a, a legitimate, valid, reason for education, we to provide uh, more people of service. And so when we have, uh, when we're training police officers, firefighters, teachers, physician assistants, nurses, all of these things, uh, it, it's a great service to society. And I think that that's always going to be valued. And I tried to build on these service obligations and opportunities uh, that we had as a university.
0: The future for the university seemed peaceful and prosperous, but even the best laid plans couldn't anticipate the course of the world over the next few years. The single largest terrorist attack in the U.S. to that date took place on September 11, 2001. Ashley McGuffey, author, University of Central Missouri, 150 Years of Education for Service.
2: Uh, the reaction to the September 11th attacks on campus was it really mirrored what the rest of the country was feeling at the time. Uh, there were giant TVs in the union that students were just like sit, like sitting down and for hours just watching the news. And so there's this great picture in the student paper that's actually in the book as well of just students looking on in horror and disbelief at what was happening. Um, classes were canceled uh, and to like students, even before the classes were canceled, students weren't showing up to them anyway. Faculty were just glued to their computers. And if they had radios in their offices, they were glued to those. Um, and it was really just kind of campus kind of came to a standstill as, as did the rest of the country. I was in first grade and we, we went home, <laughs> um, uh, early, but yeah, it really just came to a standstill. And then that led to and an overwhelming amount of support being sent so we had red cross units set up so that we could give blood um, there was canned food drives being set up for anyone who might need it and then it just it, there was there was a uh, remembrance walk planned later for uh in honor of the victims of those tragedies it was there was a lot but uh we the The university rallied just as the rest of the country did. So
1: it came to everyone. It's a total surprise. Uh, I had an agenda. I was on the phone when I first was notified. I was on the phone with a candidate and a strong prospect for one of our vice presidencies. And I was interviewing, and I was talking to him by phone. Since he was in Pennsylvania, he got the message about the same time as I did about nine eleven. But in Pennsylvania, they were also having their own emergency because of the plane that had been uh, uh, taken over, and the hostages that were attempting to crash and, and uh, on their way to DC, but were where the passengers rescued. Uh, the the rest of us, really, by sacrificing their own lives. But so, again, immediate action was called for. And I took the stance that students should not be scattered on their own in this time of emergency. I said we would maintain our class schedule, but... That the instructor should talk about what's going on. Impossible in terms of their own subject, but students needed to have an open channel of communication. And remember, we had increased and we're increasing in numbers of international students. Uh, if we stopped our university closed down, think of the difficulties this would cause. International students Uh, Where would they go Uh, for for our, our regular students? What I did was with our university community, I said, our role is changing somewhat. We need to be helpers to all of our students in terms of understanding. And as we learn, we will share and talk and make certain that we have the best information. And of course, at this time, I was in rather constant contact with Whiteman Air Force Base, where it was an emergency. Uh, We tried to make sure that we were doing the things that we needed to do in terms of safety for our students. And that is that we maintained food availability, water, housing, we, we, we tried to keep operate as much as normal as we could, but at the same time, recognizing the turmoil that was going on. And so we encouraged our instructors and everything to be extremely flexible, to be generous with your time, and make concessions to students who have difficulty making the trips to campus or needing to miss classes on campus. Be upfront, realistic, we're trying to help in terms of providing education, but we're not going to do so at the risk of the health and well-being of our population. And I also had that particular day, I had a lecture uh, schedule with some students. And so my topic changed to what can we do? How can we handle this? I wanted their input. And I have to say our community came together so positively. I didn't have resistance. I didn't have naysayers. I had a community of my faculty, my staff, and my students who were wanting to do the right thing. We had a open meeting where I spoke a few words and we shared particularly with our international students. We had a number of Muslim uh, students on campus but we didn't have incidents of of racism. I I never never heard of any problems among our students because of their diverse ethnic and philosophical backgrounds, Uh, we we tried to bridge the gap as best we could with community groups to let them know. uh, And we gained their support. Everybody was on board trying to make things work. And in that sense, it was a very positive feeling. For me, it was a reinforcement of the vision that I had for the university. It showed that we can work together and get things done, and I think we did.
0: Not long after those events, the university faced the most severe budget cuts since the Great Depression. While the school was not in danger of being eliminated, state funding fell to an all-time low. This required President Patton and his administration to make some very hard decisions in order to balance the university's budget.
1: But uh, we were trying to hold on to the quality education that our students deserve. And doing that with much reduced resources uh, is very difficult. I remember uh, uh, about my third year, I believe it was about 2002, uh, I had gone with the, uh, our musical uh, group who were going to uh, Europe to do some performances, including at at, at uh, in, in Vatican City. And they did some performances along with, uh, in the presence uh, of His Majesty the Pope. And uh, we uh, performed in the Sistine Chapel, for example. In, in any event, I was accompanying them and it was quite an honor and a real privilege to be able to see our students in, in such position and performing in so high quality. And, uh, but as I got to Europe, my phone rang and I answered of course and it was home and they had said that the governor had just announced a 7% withholding our budget when i left for europe i had everything was in place we had our budget balanced appropriated and it was com- i was comfortable that well i'm going to be out of the country and things are ready to go but then 7% less immediately this was seven percent of the budget that we had already appropriated. So people had their salaries, people had their contracts. What can you manage? How can you do how can you? Man- well, I unfortunately had to spend hours on the phone <laughs> trying to get to a point where we were started in terms of the process of pulling back funding. What can we? What flexibility do we have when we've already told people this is what we're going to do, and the, then they don't have the money to do it? So that was that was a very quick and immediate understanding of a lot of our people that we're going to have to buckle down and make some decisions that are not pleasant to make.
0: Despite this programs on campus continued to expand and the campus continued to grow. In 2002, the Prusing Research Farm was donated to the University Agricultural Program, and in 2005, the Thrive Program was established to expand opportunities to students with disabilities so they could lead a fulfilling college life. 2005 also marked the end of President Patton's tenure with the university, Dr. Aaron Podolevsky, Dean of the College of Social and Behavioral Sciences at the University of Northern Iowa, was named the 14th president of the university. Jeff Murphy, graduate of University High, Assistant Director of Media Relations, University of Central Missouri.
3: Dr. Podolevsky really enjoyed the university experience, I enjoyed Getting out and meet, meeting people across campus and being engaged uh, with faculty, he probably didn't spend as much time out in the community as a lot of other presidents did, and I believe that might have affected his presidency overall. It, um, during his tenure, there were he did leave uh, on the fifth on the. He served 5 years and then when his contract ended he left but there there had been some disagreements with the board he left and went back to, to uh, a university in buffalo to, to continue work he was someone who appreciated scholarly work and he was he had written a number of books and i think his inexperience as as, uh, he'd been a provost previously. So he had less experience. He didn't have a lot of experience as a president coming into the job. So I think he was learning a lot while he was here. And that may have impacted the the overall, his overall ability to do as much as he probably could have.
2: President Podolski really loved teaching. Um, and so a lot of what he poured money into as the president was, uh, educational departments. Um, and the departments really, uh, sorry, he's not popular on campus, but like he really was a good guy. Um, he, he poured money where it needed to go. And a lot of faculty agreed with that. Other people Not so much, but he was a teacher at heart and he knew where the funding needed to go and he put the funding where it needed to go.
0: Dr. Chuck Ambrose, former president, University of Central Missouri.
4: I had a chance to know Aaron Podolevsky. I I was always grateful um, for his kindness. and and friendship, Uh, there were certain elements of of UCM um, that I think were extraordinary by virtue of of just his academic commitment uh, to quality um, and to faculty. I um, was always really sorry that, uh, you know, he was taken what I consider to be pretty young um, and uh, because he had extended leadership on the Buffalo State campus from Warrensburg, uh, and we counted ourselves as kind of colleague presidents through ASCU. In
0: 2006, the university underwent another name change. Central Missouri State University became the University of Central Missouri. The name change symbolized the university's transition from a regional state institution to a comprehensive university that was nationally recognized.
3: One of the things that Dr. Podolevsky wanted to accomplish while he was here was that he had a vision for the university to become nationally known, and part of that included a name that was more appropriate for an institution that would aspire to be nationally known, and so the Central Missouri State University was changed to University of Central Missouri, and While there were a lot of people who liked that name change, there were a lot of people who didn't. So it wasn't exactly a popular move among a lot of people. But as we look back on time and time, people adjusted to the new name, and and I think it served us well.
2: Uh, I remember when the university's name changed from CMSU to UCM, and that was deeply unpopular (laughs) at the time, simply because there were so many alumni still deeply attached to CMSU. Um, But it really was, you know, part of a greater movement in the the country in general of taking state out of university names in general, because that made it seem like it was not as accredited. Um, so a lot of a lot of universities around the state and the country were also taking state out of the name as well, and so uh, to just be the University of Central Missouri and UCM was seen as um, better looking. <laughs>
3: and, and I think in the end, it, it did accomplish his goal to to help make us more nationally known. Um, as you you look into the e- years that followed, our international and grew enrollment grew in considerably and we were making connections with alumni and companies throughout not only the United States but throughout the world and it just kind of demonstrated that we, we aren't just as little small little school here in the Midwest but we're some we're an institution that attracts people from all over the globe and having a name that that represents that vision, I think was a good move for the university.
0: Despite his short tenure, Dr. Potolevsky accomplished much, and as dedicated as he was to the university, his life took a different path as he accepted a position as the president of Buffalo State University in New York. Replacing President Podolevsky would be Dr. Chuck Ambrose, president of Pfeiffer University in North Carolina. A dynamic and engaged administrator, Dr. Ambrose hit the ground running at UCM by actively reorganizing both the educational and administrative sides of the university. Many of those changes were aimed at clustering like programs together to foster collaboration for student success.
3: Dr. Ambrose succeeded Dr. He He came in 2010. He was a young man with a lot of ambition, a lot of energy. He had come from uh, North Carolina where he was the youngest president in the history of that state at age 38. So we were excited to get him as a president. He, he was someone who had an idea every 30 seconds. You know, He's full of ideas. And he was the kind of person who always found found a way to engage people to make things happen that probably wouldn't have happened under a lot of presidents.
4: When I think about my own journey with UCM, we can talk some about the the relationships, Um, but the sequence, right, of, of 2010 to 2018, you know, I think are, you know, quite significant for all of higher education. And then, of course, when you think about the public uh, institution's role and then bring it back to Missouri, uh, I think we were in the crux of of just one of those periods that was not only formative, but I think uh, in some ways kind of creates a platform for where uh, colleges and universities are going. Um, you know, 2010 really uh, was uh, the the reaction, the, the, the subsequent consequence of the recession. And, uh, you know, higher ed, along with a lot of other systems across uh, culture, was somewhat reset in October of, of 2008. Uh, at that time, I was president of Pfeiffer University, uh, a private institution in North Carolina, and, um, 30 minutes from Charlotte, which was kind of ground zero for the financial meltdown uh, that took, you know, at that time, 10 years of a college presidency and and put it in a 90 day context of wondering what it was going to be like to close a small college because institutions like Wacovia had failed. There was letters of credit and debt, uh, of course, um, you know, between the loss of overall equity and assets, people felt um, many of them lost uh, retirement and, and banks and other uh, institutions that took them um, years, if not decades, backwards financially. And uh, in the midst of that, you know, we didn't know what recovery was going to look like and how resilient you know, colleges and universities were going to be. Uh, But I'll never forget, um, you know, in the the theater, considering the question to UCM about what's possible, uh, would it be um, an opportune time to basically create what higher education was going to look like in response to the recession from Warrensburg? And really felt as if that was somewhat of the urgency and opportunity Uh, that's certainly the decade of 2010.
0: The university worked hard to create new opportunities for both active-duty members of the military and veterans, establishing the Student Veterans Organization and the Veterans Success Center. In an effort to rethink and reinvigorate education, the university developed a first-of-its-kind program to transition high school students to higher education success within a shorter than normal time. This also included bringing on corporations to help guide the students to success in their fields.
4: Uh, and you know, UCM had a, a, a big imprint uh, on producing graduates and, and having service to the school districts, uh, a lot of outreach um, and non-credit support through independence. And then that shifted uh, to, to Lee Summit. And then a real pivotal uh, point in history was Bobby Patton's very strategic uh, enabling of the Summit Center to gain through um, the MDHE process, residential uh, campus designation for Lee Summit, even though uh, it was more of a, a secondary location or adult learning center, uh, which gave all the opportunity for, for UCM to, to really move forward with uh, expansive growth.
1: Uh, we also opened a center at Lee's Summit and uh, and then we had this opportunity uh, th- that had already presented itself and we'd taken initial steps to support the structuring of the uh, home for the academic programs in Lee's Summit. So uh, we took that, I was able to get the uh, the, the support of the Board of Higher Education, who saw this as part of our mission. And so uh, that gave us the impetus to try to do these things. And again, I have to then hark back to the fact until we encountered the budget cuts, uh, which limited us in our ability to provide the services that we had planned uh, to provide, uh, but uh, we were planning to, and we were working cooperative with the University of Missouri, Kansas City. We were working cooperatively with the other universities to have a seamless sort of operation where students could begin college in another location, but then feed in to a campus and we hoped it would be Central and Warrensburg. But uh, in any event, we were able to make our presence known. And we set up the programs, very attractive programs to the students who were residing in Kansas City, which eliminated the necessity for a commute. And so I felt it was a very successful decision that we made.
4: And then um, he would say that he's just representative, but a young man, uh, Josh Adams, who went to Blue Springs South, Uh, He represented one of those students who had a a very high degree of migratory transition uh, from school districts like Independence and Blue Springs and Lee Summit uh, to MCC and then transferring and articulating seamlessly to uh, UCM. And he he was an innovation campus student before we knew that we were going to have an innovation campus. Uh, And then the last was an alum uh, who has a real true love and heart for UCM, Don Nasaka, a serial entrepreneur from Lee Summit with two degrees from UCM, who really, uh, again, wanted to give back and actually outline the the construct for the innovation campus at a distinguished alumni um, dinner early on in in my presidency, uh, probably uh, fall of 2010 and the first time we met. And I'll put those pieces together uh, very quickly. Um, Josh went to uh, Summit Tech. Now, he left with almost uh, 30 hours of of college course credit with his dual credit enrollment, Uh, came to UCM, but uh, between his high school uh, senior year and UCM, he he started working uh, at Hallmark in an internship. So he was a really talented young man and a a very outgoing student. And I was walking across the parking lot there outside of Hendrix. And I said, well, Josh, are you ready for, for next year? And he said, well, Dr. Ambrose, I'm graduating. He said, I had enough dual credits to graduate a year and a half early my internships at Hallmark have given me a, an opportunity to formulate some great experience and they've already offered me a job after I, I graduate. So I'll be leaving UCM. And I was like, wow, that's outstanding, right? Uh, tragic for us that you're leaving so early, right? But little do we know, Josh, with the pathways that our community, and I'd really say it's a, a learning ecosystem, something that Dr. Kirk Nooks, who was president at MCC used to call it, Uh, before he went to be president at Gordon College in Georgia, and students were finding these pathways with or without us. And, uh, you know, what we found out were that if we were more intentional about taking down some of the barriers in the student's way, that you actually could kind of meet the four challenges that higher ed represented kind of coming out of the recession. It costs too much. Uh, College takes too long. Uh, There's a skills gap uh, with every degree that we produce that requires employers like Cerner to spend 23 weeks of training a college graduate to do their job. So they basically said, hey, if you could cut that uh, time in half, we would support a, a program like the MIC.
0: The program was so innovative that a special guest came to campus to tout it. In 2013, President Barack Obama visited campus, the first sitting president ever. To come to the university,
4: of course, Josh. I, I would tell you that one of my uh, my favorite memories of that that you know I'll always take away with. We we got a call in the summer. Um, Stan Elliott and I both connected with the Office of Science and Technology in the White House. And they said, Hey, we've heard about your program. And we had several champions within the Department of Ed. And we had worked closely with the Lumina Foundation and Strata and others to plant the seeds of, hey, help us come build something that doesn't exist. And, and you know, some really great friends along the way that, that helped us do that. And so they said, Well, we want to come see your program. So, like any college president, Josh, I said, Hey, absolutely, right? Come come see us and, and we'll we'll show you. And Said, so, well, let me um, do some work and we'll call you back. And uh, two weeks later, uh, I was sitting um, in a cabinet meeting with our, our senior leadership team, and uh, got a call from Washington. They said the White House is calling, and I said, well, I, I better go take this right. Uh, and and kind of acted as if that happens on a fairly frequent basis, which it never really had before, but. In the the midst of reconnecting, they said, well, the site visit is going to be by a high ranking uh, administration official. And uh, so they were talking logistics. They were talking dates. They were trying to figure out what it would take. And, and uh, about 40 minutes into the conversation, uh, I, I had to I mean, I'm, I'm literally, you know, head spinning uh, with with questions and and curiosity. So I finally gave gave in. I said, oh, just let me ask. Right. Uh, High ranking administration official. You know, who would that be? And they said, well, it'll either be Vice President Biden or President Obama. And I said, yep, uh, got it. That's pretty high ranking. But the team. And I'll have to give them credit. And I'll, I'll have to say there was two elements of that visit that were so powerfully important. One was Mike White, the UCM uh, criminal justice uh, alum who had been on the presidential detail for both of President Obama's uh, terms, not the only Secret Service agent. I think we finally had four alums on the presidential detail that day when he visited. Uh, but Mike was one of the, the primary protectors of the president. And um, in two meetings with President Obama, uh, he he would call uh, Mike the head mule. And he knew UCM as well as anything by virtue of the quality of the people who protected him every day. Uh, But the the head of the White House press corps, uh, there's a 60 foot shot of the president that comes head on. Uh, And then a side shot that is always taken in any presidential visit that that the press uh, are privy to by virtue of of the work of how you host a visit. And if you will remember, uh, the Office of um, Communications, Strategic Communications, had put together the the visual imagery within uh, the Student Rec Center that the director of the White House press corps said undoubtedly it was the best side shot they had ever seen on a college campus. And uh, that picture, you know, uh, is indelible uh, in regards to what it meant for a president of the United States to come talk about a program on your campus better than you can even tell it yourself. Um, So uh, one of those uh, one of those stories that uh, you'll you'll never forget. And it's certainly a a great part of the institutional history.
3: President Obama came to campus at that was that was an interesting time for the university, and that we I don't know if we had ever had another pre- living president come here. I don't believe we had but um, we learned that he was planning to come here about a week before he showed up and we worked with his uh, oh his staff to organize that event and it was exciting to have a, a whether you agree with his politics or not, it's just exciting anytime you have a, a world leader come to your campus. And we uh, we arranged for the event to take place in the Student Recreation and Wellness Center, which was only a couple years old at that time. His staff was very instrumental in deciding where the location was going to be. and. On the day he arrived, that place was packed. There, was, there were probably somewhere close to 3,000 uh, people attending. It was great being on national TV and seeing, seeing the coverage that we got. It's very rare that we have every network in the United States, every, every television station from here for, in a hundred mile radius come here to cover an event, but we had tremendous press coverage and it was a great opportunity for the university to showcase its facilities and also uh, something that it was doing to make a difference for students. And having the president talk about that was just a tremendous PR opportunity for the university and a learning experience.
0: Jerry Hughes, Vice President, Intercollegiate Athletics, University of Central Missouri.
5: The Mules uh, won the 2014 uh, National Championship uh, in Evansville, Indiana. Uh, they beat West Liberty University out of West Virginia, uh, 84-77 to in the championship game. West Liberty was averaging around 100 points a game that year. And the mules held them to 77, which is quite a feat to hold somebody about 25 points under their season average. But we won it. Uh, we were down at halftime, came back, won it late, and that was after a really exciting uh, semifinal game against Metropolitan out of college, out of Denver, in which we won by one point on a last-second layup uh, to move to the national championship game. So. It was a great accomplishment by Kim Anderson and his team uh, to win that national championship. The Jennies won their national championship in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, 66 to 52 over Ashland University. Uh, the Jennies were big underdogs going into that game. Ashland University had a 77game winning streak, and the Jennies prevailed over them. And led the whole game, and most of the game by 20 points, and the Ashland coaches and teams just could not figure out what was going on. But the Jennies jumped out early, stayed out the entirety of the game, and won the game. It was a, it was a great championship uh, win for Dave Slifer and his and his team. The women's indoor championships in uh, 2015 was quite unique. I mean the. Uh, uh, Erica Kinsey, who was here from Sweden, her husband was a graduate assistant with us. She was older, she was 24, 25 years old when she came to school here. She she was about six, two or three, tall young lady. And uh, she came here, she had been playing ice hockey for her home country of Sweden. But she, she led us in winning the high jump and, and uh, long jump in several events in that indoor and did the same thing in the outdoor. He, Heaven Warner uh, and helped us in the weight throws and shot put and so forth in the outdoor. So uh, And th- the unique thing about Erica, she was just uh, in the recent Olympics in Tokyo representing her home country of Sweden in the high jump now she didn't place but she's still quite the athlete that's five years later i mean she's probably around 30 right now so but we it was you know really interesting for uh it doesn't happen very often because there's enough difference in some of the sport some of the events between indoor and outdoor that a team will win both indoor and outdoor but our women's team did that in 2015.
0: The following years saw yet another series of budget cuts from the state. These multiple sustained cuts were cumulatively taking their toll on the institution. To ensure that the university could balance its budget while still meeting its commitment to students, the campus underwent another major reorganization. Many programs were eliminated, and early retirements were offered to long-serving employees. Despite all of this, the university continued to thrive and build upon its previous successes. These successes led to another change in leadership at the university as President Ambrose departed UCM, leaving a legacy of student success and growth. On November fifth, two 2018, the Board of Governors named Dr. Roger Best, Executive Vice President and CFO of UCM, the 16th President. President Best had a long history at UCM, starting as a faculty member and rising through the ranks. This experience made him uniquely suited to handle the challenges and opportunities before the university. Dr. Roger Best, President, University of Central Missouri.
6: So I came to uh, teach at UCM uh, out of my graduate program at Florida State University Uh, for some strange reason. I still don't, to this day, don't know why, when I was uh, in my teen years, I had looked at a map and thought that uh, you know maybe one day I'd like to live in the state of Missouri, and I had never actually been to the state of Missouri until I interviewed for the position at what was then Central Missouri State University as a finance faculty member. And frankly, um, I grew up in Georgia. uh, As I mentioned, I was at Florida State University for my graduate program, and really had no intention to stay. Uh, So I was coming to Missouri for a few years, uh, get a little experience as a faculty member. And I find my way back to the Southeast, where the weather was a little bit warmer in the wintertime and where all of my family still reside, frankly. And so um, after three years at the university, I uh, got an offer from an institution that was uh, in the Southeast. And I remember sitting in our quad and uh, thinking to myself, why would I leave such a a great institution? I really found in that three-year period that I had fallen in love, not just with the institution, but with the individuals uh, that I worked with, uh, that my colleagues were fantastic, Uh, and of course the students were just top-notch and uh, really found their work ethic to be great. I realized uh, through that process that we were making such a tremendous difference for our students. And uh, the education we were able to provide really transformed who they were. And so I just decided to stay and, and make uh, my career here at the university. And uh, one thing led to another, and I ended up in administrative positions. And, and I used to think that was a unique story about this university, that, oh, you know, I wasn't planning to stay here. I was only going to be here for a few years. And then in talking to some of my colleagues, they had exactly the same story. They somehow found their way to the university and decided that uh, they would be here for a few years uh, as part of their career and uh, was so impressed by their colleagues and our students that they just decided to stay.
0: Facing downward pressure on enrollment and stagnant funding at the state level, President Best approached the work of the presidency in the measured and careful manner he's known for.
6: Uh, Without quality, without that, uh, students aren't going to be interested in, in being here at the university. Uh, But then we add on top of that the outcomes of that preparation. So we know from our statistics dating back 10 to 15 years that 95, 96 percent of our graduates are placed either in uh, a job, a profession, or in graduate school within six months of graduation. That's an incredible placement rate. And so not only are students coming into a quality academic experience, they're achieving what it is they came for. So once they graduate, those opportunities are out there. And our mission and our goal is to make sure that we pair those two things together. So students prepared well, then paired with opportunity on the back end. But it's more than that, in my opinion. When we start thinking about their experience while they're here, it's not just about the classroom. It's not just about what happens when they graduate. It's what do they do when they're actually here in our environment and experiencing university life? And so from my perspective, we also do a great job of bringing in that student experience that's beyond the classroom, whether that's part of classroom, extended classroom, where we're engaging them in competitions that are academic in nature, or we're engaging them in service learning opportunities as we used to call that, which is now just part of education and education for service, which is our longstanding motto.
0: Never one to vacate a challenge, President Best began the process of preparing the university for the future looking to where the institution needs to be not where it should be but no one would be able to predict what would come next as the institution faced one of the greatest challenges ever a global pandemic that brought the campus together in the tradition of tragedies it faced in the past such as wars depressions and strife
6: in terms of the impactful moments that we've had at this institution uh, certainly we can't leave out pandemic uh, we experienced one in the 1918-1919 time frame, and then the, the modern pandemic, if you want to call it that, of 2020 uh, certainly created a tremendous impact on us as an institution. And it's easy to think about the negative side of that, but realistically, there was uh, some positive outcomes we saw from the impact of the pandemic and, and COVID in particular. Uh, certainly what happened uh, during 2020 is we had to shut down our all of our face-to-face classes and move to a virtual environment for essentially 100% of our classes, and that persisted uh, for half of our spring semester in 2020 as well as all of our summer semester in 2020. And we were able to use science and medicine to find ways then to re-engage with our students uh, in a face-to-face environment. But during that critical period of time, which was somewhere in the neighborhood of of 12 to 16 weeks, we had to make sure that we were able to deliver on our promise to our students of providing for them a quality education, maintaining all of our support services, but doing so when we didn't have that one key element we were used to, which is being in person. And I think a lot of our uh, faculty and staff realize that that's doable. And so when we think about where we need to head as an institution and what education will look like as we move forward. Uh, Today, we say things like online class or face-to-face class or virtual education versus face-to-face education. As we start moving into the future, we won't be talking about education being segmented as such. We'll really be talking about education just being education. And when we look at design, there will be all of these various components to it that are virtual in nature or in person in nature. But they're so seamless that we don't think about them being different ways to deliver education. And during the pandemic, we realized very quickly that we can do that. And not only can we do that, it, we can be effective in doing that. So our students can continue to learn. And our faculty and staff can continue to contribute to their success through that type of environment. But we also learned something else that was critical for us as an institution. And we think about what our future will look like as an institution. We also learned that there are many, many of our students who very much demand and want an on-campus experience, on-campus presence. And so we know that from a market perspective that we can serve students in different modalities, which is how we refer to things today, segmentation. But we also know that it's critical for us as an institution to continue to provide this on-campus experience with all of the different services we provide, all of the different extracurricular experiences and value-added experiences, but do so in a very traditional format that's on-campus and in-person in nature.
0: The campus community rallied again during this time, doing everything it could to ensure the safety of its students, faculty, and staff. While the campus closed, The process of learning did not stop. Overnight, faculty converted their classes to remote learning. Dorms and student spaces were still made available to those who needed them. In record time, the areas of facilities, technology, health, and student success developed plans to keep the university functioning during these unprecedented times. Again, the university came together to face an uncertain time and an uncertain future with a single agenda, education for service. The University of Central Missouri is not a collection of buildings, books, or ideas. It is more than its programs, degrees, and sports teams. It is a community and a family that has proven, time and again, that as a whole, it is stronger than any one individual. It brings out the best in all who are a part of it, and they in turn take that out into the world and make it a better place. For all that the institution does, it brings people together and encourages people to be everything they can be. There is no power like it in the world except for maybe the kick of a Missouri mule.